Hello and welcome back to the Start a Glamping Business podcast. Today we've got Nancy Sweeney, who is the owner of the Woods of Eden Glamp Ground in Maine. Uh, today we're just going to talk through her experience in starting the glamping site um, and running it and the things she's learned and the things she'd, she'd do differently and the things she'd do again. Um, so yeah, we're just going to get some, some really great insight from someone who's been there and done it and hopefully um, can pass on some words of wisdom to anyone who wants to start their own glamping business in the future. Um, so Nancy, I'll just allow you to introduce yourself and, and your background and, and how you got into the glamping business. Hi, and um, thanks for having me here. Um, I'm Nancy Sweeney. I live in Bar Harbor, Maine, and I was a teacher for years, um, but decided I wanted something uh, more control in my life about uh, what I did for work and how I spent my time. So I started getting into the glamping business um, through a friend of mine who owns a campground. And as a child, I had loved camping and had always wanted um, to someday own a campground. But times have changed and things have evolved. And uh, the idea of a glamp ground appealed to me more. And um, I started looking into how to go about having one. Um, prior to anybody even really knowing what one was in my area and in the United States in general. Um, so there was a lot of explaining the term to people <laughs> in the beginning. Um, but that's um, the idea, I guess, was born out of wanting a campground and then um, realizing that a, a glamp ground would be more suitable to me. Yeah, I'm well used to having to explain what glamping is to people when I describe what my job is. So um, you're not alone on that one. And what actually does your site consist of? Like what, what kind of glamping units have you got on? Uh, how is it spaced out? What kind of amenities do you offer? Like what, what, what does your site consist of? Um, well, I have 24 wooded acres. And of that, I probably developed about three of the acres um, with six glamping tents. So these are... Um, tents that are up on platforms and have barn board walls inside and bathroom, full bathroom, uh, queen, two queen beds and two twin beds, kitchen area, living room area, full size deck that's covered. And we share a fire pit, a communal fire pit. Um, they're in clusters of three. So you have three that are sort of near one another, and then you have three more that are somewhat near one another. And um, it's a quiet, uh, natural setting. Um, I have a shed. I call it the shed. It's a, a building on the property that is full of game, board games, outdoor games, anything extra that people need, towels, blankets, anything cooking things they might have extra need of. Um, so it's it's a nice, just I tried to keep it as natural looking as possible. Yeah, and I know from speaking to you previously that you strongly believe in the seclusion element of glamping and that you don't you didn't want to put pile as many units in as possible, um, you know, in an effort to maximize bottom line. And you think that actually spacing them out and giving each guest a sense of privacy will... Uh, a, be a better experience for your guests and B, um, b resulting in a more profitable business for you both now and in the long run. 
Right. I, I've been to other glamping establishments and they just seem to put them right next to one another and rows and rows of them, um, you know, as many as 60 to 100 units. I have six units. It's people get to know one another. It's a real it's a sense of community there. Um, or if they choose to have their privacy, they they are they can have that easily as well. Um, I also want to note I have one of one of my tents is handicapped accessible. Um, I noticed there was a real need for accessibility for people in wheelchairs, um, and especially with regards to camping. It's something that I've had people tell me I never thought I'd be able to camp again, and I was so excited to find your site and to be here and to be camping. So um, I like to make sure I mention that because I want to get the word out to people who need that um, accessibility. Yeah, and, and I've spoken to someone uh, in the in the UK who has a, a site that is specifically set up and targeted at people who need accessible ramps or and parking and things like that. And it's obviously the right thing to do, but it's also a, a, a US, you know, a unique selling point for them because people who do need those additional that additional support know that they're looked after at your site, mm-hmm. and they'll also know that they can come and and return again. You know, because a, a lot of the time they when they book a, a holiday site, they uh, are unsure whether it's going to be suitable for them. They're unsure whether they're just going to be an afterthought. But once they've had that good experience with you, they can just book again and again and again. So it's the right thing to do, but it's also good for the bottom line too. Exactly. Yep. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is just a quick note to say that this podcast is brought to you by Glampertext in North America. And what we do is we help you through the process of starting a glamping business no matter what stage you're at. So if you need to find a property, we'll tell you where the most suitable area is to start your glamping business. If you have a property, we'll look at your local zoning code and tell you how likely you are to get your project off the ground according to the zoning rules and regulations in your local area. We'll also give you a really good roadmap of permits that you'll need and regulations that you'll need to be aware of to get your glamping business off the ground. If you need financing, we'll introduce you to our range of financing partners and do you a feasibility study that will give you some really solid financial projections and market analysis that will allow you to acquire the funding that you need. If you need glamping units, we'll talk you through your options and introduce you to one of our trusted manufacturing partners to ensure that you're looked after throughout the whole process. If you need a site design or if you need permits to move forward with your project, we've got architects who will do all your drawings, make all your arguments and essentially allow your dream to become a reality. The list goes on and I don't want to bore you, so I'll let you get back to the episode in a second. All I'd say is that Glampertex North America are the people to speak to about starting a glamping business in the US or Canada. So if you're even thinking of starting a glamping business, just get in touch with us at contact at glampertech.com or 646-586-2330. All the details are in the description and no matter what stage of the process you're at, we will be able to help, whether it's doing something ourselves or pointing you in the right direction of our partners. Just let us know that you came from the podcast and we'll see about doing you a little discount along the way. So thanks for listening and I'll let you get back to the episode. How, how did that like manifest itself like did, did you have to we're gonna we're gonna get into to how you dealt with the permitting process and speaking with the county later on and um, but but did you have to explain what glamping was to the county or was it to potential investors like who, who who are you having to explain what the concept of glamping is 
Um, well, the, my first step in the journey was meeting with um, business planner. So this was a, a group that donates their time to helping individuals develop a business plan um, so that you can take that business plan then to the bank and explain what you want your loan for. So it started with them explaining what it was to them. It started by explaining it what it was to a realtor because um, she was helping me find the ideal spot for the glamp ground. I had to explain uh, what it was to the bank, obviously, when I went and asked for money. And um, so it just, it was sort of everywhere. Um, once I explained what it was, um, people's eyes lit up and they, they got really excited about the idea and thought it was wonderful. And so it was easy to get um, people to help me because they were excited about it too. Okay, and, and that was that was four years ago. So the, the industry has come on a lot since then. And whilst you still end up having to explain what glamping is to a lot of people, I imagine it was a lot more intense back then and a lot harder back then. Mm. Um, and especially, you know, if you're pitching to investors or banks now, there's a, it's probably easier to, to get investment for a glamping project now. So, so how did you actually end up convincing the bank to, to, to lend you money for such a, a new concept in such a, a niche industry? Um, well, I had to uh, come up with a whole plan uh, and I had to do a spreadsheet where projected income and what I would charge nightly, um, everything that they needed to know about how much money this endeavor would be generating. So, and because of where I live, it was easy for them to see that this concept was going to be popular. I live in a, a very popular tourist destination. So they're used to dealing with hotels, motels, cabins, camps, campgrounds. Um, so they they were familiar with the industry and what you can charge per night. And so once I drew up my costs and, and then profits, um, they looked at the sheets and the numbers and were eager to loan me money at that point. That's great. <laughs> and then so moving from one aspect of starting a glamping business, which is tricky, and that's acquiring funding to one that's arguably even trickier, uh, the permitting process. Now, we, we've spoken before about your glamping site and you said um, getting a permit for your glamping build was was tricky uh, and it's quite a long process. So I'd love for you to just discuss with us a little bit more about that and how you found that process. Well, it's pro it may be unique to Maine and it may be unique to my area, but there were certain towns that didn't allow camping at all. So the first hurdle was defining what the glamp ground was. Because some town um, code enforcement officers viewed it as a campground. Other towns viewed it as multiple housing units. So the requirements there were, well, you have to have 10 acres for every tent. <laughs> um, some towns viewed it um, as a, um, a campground. And some of the towns in my area don't allow campgrounds. So finding the property uh, was tricky because I had to be in the right town. 
it had to be defined properly because I didn't want to have to have 10 acres for each little unit. And then I had to um, make sure that the land was zoned uh, properly. So in my case, it had to be commercially zoned. So it was a process. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one thing that I'm constantly telling people is before they commit to a property, make sure that they have the right zoning. Uh, it's the absolute first basic step and not enough people know about it. So um, anyone who follows our content will probably get sick of us telling telling you about this, but check your zoning before buying a property. Um, but we'll, I, I, won't, I won't bore people about that um, anymore in this, this episode. Uh, but so I will say I didn't buy the property until I had everything approved. Yeah, um, and we'll discuss that in, in a second. Um, but in terms of the actual, the, the permitting process, what, what sort of, did you have to submit any architectural designs? Did you have to just do drawings, written statements? Like what, what was the process involved in, in acquiring that permit? Well, it was more than really a permit. It was, um, I had to get planning board approval. Mm -hmm. So in order to get planning board approval, you have to go through a very long process of um, checklists of things that they want. Um, Everything from the site plans to where the lights on your trail are going to be, how how much light those lights are going to illuminate, um, where your signage is going to be, things like your septic design, uh, water runoff, road access, um, impact on the, the neighborhood, just a litany of uh, things that you have to address. Um, and initially you go in front of the planning board and the neighbors, that's people that abut you are allowed to attend that meeting. They have lots of questions, they have input, they can put up a fuss if they want, or um, the members of the planning board will ask questions and then you have a chance to then go back and change things or fix things or rearrange things. And then you go back again in front of the planning board and this time it's a public uh, meeting with every everybody in the town anyone in the town can attend and then um, if you have if you get all your boxes checked then the planning board approves you and so it was after that that I bought the property yeah and the the process the exact process varies from county to county and city to city but generally that that's that's a common theme is a lot of hoops to jump through uh, public presentations, convincing ra- neighbours and residents who don't necessarily want the the site on their property, and, and it's um, oh sorry in in their area, and it is a long and draining process. And I think it's important that people understand understand that before thinking it's going to be a walk in the park to get this done. Sometimes it can be so like some some places are easier than others, but that's what it can be like. But thankfully, uh, you know, you got through the other side, and you're now running a successful glamping business, so that's great. And I had no experience. I mean, it it's. It's something you can do. Anyone can do it. You just have to ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't a builder. I had never even built a house before um, doing this. So um, the first question I was asked by the site development person was, so you want to be a developer? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I guess I do. Because <laughs> I hadn't really thought of this as 
um, a development, but it really is. It's just as uh, entailed as. Well, it's a it's a commercial development at the end of the day. I, I think there's a yeah. there's a misconception that glamping is a bit of a small time thing because it's it's so. Uh, so it's in such a niche of an industry and because it's you know connecting with nature and, and everything like that but at the end of the day it's a commercial enterprise and, and you need to to get the commercial at uh, the same approvals that you would need for a commercial enterprise so don't don't go into this process thinking you're just going to be able to to set up shop and, and it's going to be easy so that's really yeah. important to, to, to reiterate uh, you mentioned a couple of times there that before you committed to the property, you, you you made an offer subject to getting approval with the planning board. Now that's a smart tactic because it meant that you weren't going to spend, I don't know how much you spent on the property, but however much you spent on the property um, for, for no reason, you know, that the worst case scenario would be you bought the property only to get your, your application rejected. So um, you made an offer subject to permitting and, and, and I'm, I'd just be interested to know, um, how you went about that, like how you spoke to the to the landowner, how you convinced them to to go along with it, and and obviously it worked out all right all right in the end. But um, it's definitely something that uh, prospective site owners might want to consider. So I'd love to hear how you went about doing that. Uh, honestly, I just was very lucky. The, so the piece of property that I was looking at, um, someone had tried in the past. Uh, the owner had tried in the past to put up condominiums. And the neighborhood fought him um, in court and won. And then they tried to put up individual houses and they were fought again. The neighborhood fought them again and won. And so by the time I came along, nobody really wanted that property because it had gotten a reputation for being impossible to develop. So one of the things I did, was I went to the people in the neighborhood and talked to them about what my plans were. And they were in agreement that that was okay. Like they thought, well, this is better than a development or condominiums. So I sort of got their verbal agreement that they wouldn't fight me on the development. And um, the person selling the property was eager to get rid of it because he knew he couldn't develop it. Um, so he was willing to wait, I think it was probably five or six months um, wait time before the sale went through. Yeah, and it shows it's always worth asking. Uh, don't assume that people are just going to want an upfront sale. So so that that's definitely a tip to pick up on. So moving on from the setup process to what it's like on the day-to-day, um, what what's it like operating a glamping site on the ground? Um, I tried to make it as easy for myself as possible. So there's really no check-in process. I don't need to be there. Um, people come, they find the tent that's theirs, and they just move in. Um, that's also the idea of having the shed there with extra things. If people need them, they can help themselves. Um, people are are fascinated by that concept, I think, because so many people come from places where everything's locked up and nothing's free. And, you know, they go here and it's, you know, everything's just open. Uh, nothing's locked. Everything's accessible. Uh, the firewood's free. Um, there's extra propane for the grills. It's anything, um, if they need extra towels, they're there. So my main job is just uh, to support the cleaning crew 
so I go in every day. I make sure we have everything that they need to do their jobs. And the linens are put away and organized. Um, the fireplace area is cleaned up. Um, I really don't do a whole lot. Today I, I had to fix a broken shower handle. <laughs> um, Glamorous. But other than that, I have um, a wonderful uh, cleaning, uh, cleaning crew that um, does all the hard work for me. Um, I just, I'm just really there to support them and make their jobs easier. Yeah, and, and my, my co-founder of Glampatech to North America, Callum, he's got his own glamping site in the UK. And the one thing that, that they got wrong initially is they hired the wrong people to, to manage the site. Uh, and and they, they had to look hard to find the right person to manage the site. And that has been, that's and that, you know, they have to pay slightly above the, 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 the rate that they were paying previously. But once they found the right staff, the, the, the investment was um, repaid multiple times over just because... It created a, a better site for the guests and it also caused the owners less hassle. Uh, they, they knew that they could just leave the site manager to it and, and everything would be okay. And they wouldn't have to be fielding calls at, at three o'clock in the morning with panicking guests. So mm -hmm. the the if I would 100% reiterate that from my experience, that finding the right staff is absolutely crucial. It, it is. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, and, and so when we spoke last time, we, we discussed, uh, I think, something that you would have done differently if you were to start um, a glamping business all over again or if you were to relive the journey again. And you're in an area with very high nightly rates. And you said that when you first opened your doors, you were charging a nightly rate that you eventually increased. Um, and I was just wondering, I appreciate you, it's, you know, this is four years ago, you probably can't remember, but just, just like how, how, um, how much you increase your nightly rates by over time and whether you, cause I'm sure you're a little bit nervous to raise the rates as well. And, and whether you experience any pushback or it's just contributed to, to, you know, even more revenue and very little pushback. Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't noticed a change in booking at all. Um, but I haven't gone up a whole lot either. So I, I started, um, my, Tends at 300 a night, I believe. And then now I'm at 375 for some of them. So I have the, the handicapped accessible tent is less um, because it's only sleeps four. And then I have two larger tents that are more. Those are 450 a night. Um, but I'm still well under um, my nearest competitor and I offer more. Um, the, than they do. Um, you have to make your own beds at theirs and my beds are made and I have kitchens, they don't. But they they are about, well, the last time I looked, which was last summer, they were 500 something a night. So I'm, I'm not ready to go that high. I probably could, um, but I'm still, uh, I just think it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the that's the glamping industry, and especially when you're in in a, a location like that. Like yeah. the glamping industry is renowned for being able to charge high nightly rates, but but your your area is is particularly high, which is is great business wise. So mm. uh, can't have any complaints about that. Um, so so usually to round this off, we have, we have a regular segment. And it's just me asking you uh, one question to, to to round things off. Uh, so I'm going to ask okay. you it now. Are you happy with your decision to start a glamping business? Absolutely. 
the best decision I ever made. So, and, and I don't, Fantastic. It, it's just gone so well. Um, I've been very, very fortunate and, uh, yeah, it's been a great experience and I look forward to the beginning of every season. So enough said. So if, if guests wants to, if, if their listeners want to book a stay at your site, how can they go about doing that? Um, they can look, start with my website, which is www.woodsofeden.com. And I, I'm just going to be launching a new website uh, soon, but it will be the same, under the same address. Um, they can also Google glamping in Bar Harbor, Maine. I'm four miles from Acadia National Park, which is one of the most visited national parks in the United States. Um, so they can Google those places or they can go directly to woodsofeden.com. Fantastic. Well, we'll put links to, to your website in, in the description of this episode so anyone can, can have a look there. But yeah, thank, thanks Nancy for your time. It's been fantastic. And uh, hopefully we can get some guests staying, staying at your site from this podcast. Thank you. It's been fun.